Thank you, brother. About 20 after. Somewhere. 20 after? Okay. Very good. All right. Well, good morning. It is uh, it's good to finally make it here. We've uh, prayed and talked and planned and everything else about coming here to this, uh, to visiting you guys, and it just it didn't work out. So uh, here we are. Praise the Lord. It is um, good to uh, see. Let me see. I've seen, already seen some familiar faces. I love to see the pillars of the congregation still pillars. <laughs> and uh, things have changed a little bit. Amen. Well, I guess the young people are in the, they're in the sun. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see them a little bit later. Well, um, we are the Rue family. And yeah, it has been 10 years. My wife reminded me the last time we came through here, uh, uh, Joseph was just born. We came back to the States for you know, we had already had several babies over there, and last time we almost lost my wife, and so we decided uh, we'll kind of combine a, 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 you know, a baby <laughs> and furlough together, and so we had Joey, who was up here, and um, so he's 10 years old now, so yeah, it's been about 10 years since we last saw you. Our last stint in Ukraine was uh, seven years, and so it was time for a break. We do not live in a big city. We do not live in a place that in Ukraine is convenient at all. At all. Uh, we struggle from day to day with things of life like water. <laughs> um, it, actually, the not having enough water almost broke me at one point. I, I think that I was about ready to quit and go somewhere else uh, just because of the daily struggle to get enough water to get through a day. And so our desire was always to be involved in pioneer missions, always trying to build where no man, you know, has built anything before, take the name of Jesus Christ and to be involved in that kind of a thing. It was not interesting to me to take a church. I didn't want to put new wine in old bottles. Amen. <laughs> I like new wine in new bottles. That's the kind of guy I am. And so, um, so the Lord's called us to pioneer missions in Ukraine. Uh, I'd like to give you maybe a quick Maybe word of testimony, maybe the uh, reminder, I guess, tell you about how the Lord called me. That's usually what churches are interested in. I want to find out, I guess, if, you're, if the missionary is saved. You know, that kind of helps, doesn't it? <laughs> so, you know, uh, that's a good place to start. But um, my, uh, my wife is from Tennessee. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. My grandparents, my, my grandfathers were both saved late in life after World War II. They both got saved as a result of Landmark Baptist, the ministry of Landmark Baptist Temple where John Rawlings, you know, Dr. John Rawlings was the pastor. He was one of the big guys in the BBF. He was um, one of the first students that graduated under uh, J. Frank Norris. And because of that, I was exposed to uh, Dr. Ruckman in um, Camp Chautauqua. You know, I remember playing blood ball with him in Camp Chautauqua, and uh, man, he was unbeatable. He was scary. I mean, it's like there would be a hundred kids against him, and it's like, you, you know, you just couldn't take him down. We took all the counselors down except for him. He was the guy to get, and nobody really took him out. So anyway, I was exposed to that, and thank God for a local church, you know, whatever church it is whether it is big, small, rich, poor, educated, cultured, or otherwise, uh, a local church is what is in a community that stands between that community and hell. Amen. And it was that church with a bus ministry and a Sunday school that uh, led, you know, the Lord used that to lead me to Christ, 
led my grandparents to Christ. My parents got saved there, but my parents, because of trauma in the family um, and tragedy, they kind of came together and they were, they got caught up in the, the hippie movement. So my parents didn't really serve the Lord. Grandparents prayed and cried <laughs> that their kids were all involved with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the Moody Blues and Led Zeppelin and, you know, and so it was um, whiskey and beer and wine and dope and, you know, just that whole thing. That's what I grew up with. Um, had a few periods of, um, I remember one time my dad getting right for probably three months. He was a Marine. He really was a scrapper. He was a fighter. He was an abusive man, a very, very angry, angry man. And so um, I just remember the, 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 the contrast of my dad for even a couple of months just being right with the Lord, and that made it a lifetime impression on me that Jesus Christ could do this. You know, and because of that and chick tracks and then finally my dad had a moment of clarity and said, you know what, I don't care what I have to do. I want you to go to that Christian school. And so I went to a Christian school for four years. And um, one of the worst things happened is whenever I got out of that Christian school, went to public school. And man, it was, you know, they were smoking dope in the in the school during class and snorting speed and all this other stuff going on. So. Um, by that time, I was very bitter, went out into the, into the world, uh, just told Christians I was an atheist, and that was usually all it took to sh shut their mouths, you know. <laughs> uh, Christians just didn't know how to deal with somebody who claimed to be an atheist, and I did not want anybody pricking my conscience, <laughs> you know. And every once in a while, uh, I'd have these moments of uh, sobriety, and I wasn't stoned, I didn't have friends around, I was sober, wasn't drinking, there was no music playing, and the Holy Spirit of God would show up and say, you had enough yet, son? You ready to come home? And a couple times I bawled my eyes out, just bitter, and no, I'm not ready to come home. And I went out, every time I said no, life got worse, <laughs> and it got hard. And by, after seven years of that, uh, I was ready to come home. And um, I didn't know if I was saved or not, didn't know if I'd lost it, didn't know if I could get it back. Uh, I just, I, I respected Dr. Ruckman. I remembered him. He spoke like a man, you know. I, that's the only thing. You know, some of the other preachers, they just seemed like used car salesmen trying to sell you something. And I just didn't have any respect for Christianity. And, uh, but he seemed like a man. And I was terribly under conviction. And I went to church on a Friday night. And I talked to the drummer to the band. I played guitar since I was like 11, playing in the metal bands. Rock Went from rock to hard rock to metal to whatever else. And, um, you know, I was trying to make that my life. And, um, man, I didn't want to go to church alone, so I talked to the drummer of our band to go to church. <laughs> I mean, what a, what a couple of characters showed up in church that <laughs> at a Dr. Ruckman meeting, you know, and uh, so I told him I'd buy him drinks at the bar afterwards if he'd, <laughs> if he'd go to church with me. You know, had a bag of dope in my pocket and went to church and listened to Dr. Ruckman. <laughs> and, uh, and man, I um, went out afterwards, we went home, and then the next day I think I cried all day. I don't know, the conviction was so heavy and so strong. I just couldn't get out from under it. Holy Spirit conviction. 
And uh, so I went to church alone that night and got right. Got up the next morning and I was like, I'm going to go to church. This is Sunday morning. I'm going to go to church. And then I realized I didn't have a Bible. And then I remembered I'd thrown my Bible away and spit on it because I was so bitter, you know, against God and blamed him for all these things that happened in life. And I didn't have a Bible, felt very ashamed. And then I drove to church, you know, and then waiting right outside was my grandma who prayed from that scary woman, you know. That scary woman was like this tall with that white hair and it was piercing blue eyes. And if I ever saw her, you know, her car in our driveway, I just kept on going because, you know, she wasn't, a, you know, she didn't, didn't hackle you. She didn't, you know, um, she just would get a hold of me, you know, and look at me with those blue eyes and say, Chris, I just love you. <laughs> and I'm praying for you that you'll give your heart to God <laughs> and that he'll use you. <laughs> it was like, lady, get away from me. <laughs> You know, you're scaring me. You're freaking me out. <laughs> and, um, but there she was waiting for me, and she had a Bible in her hand, and she went to the church bookstore and had it engraved for me. And so God gave me back this book that I didn't deserve. You know, I didn't deserve that. There's so many people who have never had a Bible. I had one and threw it away, and God gave it back to me. That's how good he is. Amen? And... Um, so I went uh, to church that morning confused and wondering, did I lose it? Could I get it back? I prayed the, the night before and said, God, I, I, I can't live this life. You know, I looked at church people and you guys glowed compared to the way I lived. And I mean, I thought you guys were just holy. Like, wow, Christians, they like shined, you know. I, I learned later, okay, <laughs> you know. But at the time, they were like, wow, Christians. And I just, I thought, I can't live this life. I have to know that I'm saved. And the preacher got up that morning, and he opened up to John chapter 3. And the first words out of his mouth were, in this chapter, we can know that we're saved. And I thought, this is for me. And he got down there to where, you know, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, told that whole story, and that it was just as easy as, you know, look and live, just trust what Christ did, and I bowed my head, and I said, Lord, if it's that easy, I believe, and man, the, the peace, and the love, the joy, the contentment, and I had tried every illegal and legal substance practically known to man, nothing did for me what Jesus Christ did for me that morning changed my life and I just began to fall in love with him and little bit by little bit all my dreams all my plans just seemed to be dull you know I was going to the um, preparing to get into the college conservatory of music for classical guitar and I just I got a little taste of winning souls and I like this is what I want to do you know I just couldn't waste the years and time just practicing this piece and that piece you know I just wanted to win souls and so I was just praying and and the Lord used this verse right here um, in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27. I was just, the Bible says, you know, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that believeth, uh, 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 he, that, um, 
He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And I was being as diligent as I could. Got up at 4.30 in the morning every morning, read my Bible and prayed and was seeking the Lord's will. And one morning, uh, this verse, I was praying about God's will. I knew he called me to preach and I just didn't know if I was to be a pastor, evangelist, Bible teacher or what. But I had a business plan and I was involved in, you know, uh, you know a little bit of real estate and flipping houses and, you know, doing stuff like that. And uh, here it says in verse 27, prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field and afterwards build thine house. And the Holy Spirit of God took that verse and put it right down in my heart and said, I want you to be a missionary. And so God began to just, I don't, maybe that's a different story. I don't have time this morning just to tell you of the, I mean, almost acts like, you know, circumstances and situations. And we got some cool stories, man. I mean, we've got some really, really cool stories that this is obviously, this isn't a coincidence. These are things that God did to get us where he has us. And then I'm just going to show you now, um, you know, the rest of the pictures and the, over the years of what the Lord's allowed us to do and be a part of. And the cool thing that we found out, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years later, my wife was going through a box that her mother had thrown all her stuff in. And I mean, it was fast. From that night that I got right with the Lord, five years later, I had already finished PBI and was on the mission field. <laughs> you know, deputation, PBI, discipleship, everything. I mean, five years later, here I am in the former Soviet Union. It was fast. Uh, my wife and I, we met at PBI. Um, I was a third-year student getting ready to graduate. I had almost completely given up that I was ever going to find an American woman to marry me, going to the former Soviet Union, you know. And uh, so we met at PBI, and then the Lord was like, there she is. And I'm like, I thought, all these years of praying and fasting and seeking and knocking and just asking, and all of a sudden, here she is. And she was headed to the mission field, and I was headed to the mission field, and we said, hey, why not, you know. <laughs> so the neat thing was we found out years later that the very night that I was getting right, on that very night, she was in a missions conference as a 16-year-old girl and surrendered her life to Jesus Christ to be a missionary. And so the Lord brought us together. And, uh, and so anyway, I'll just get into the, into the slides, if you would, kind of dim the lights. If I stand here, is that, or should I stand off to the side? We're good? All right, so we are the Rue family. My oldest son, Joshua, is not here. We have six boys, one girl. She's my favorite daughter. I call her Miriam. And um, let me see if this... No. Okay. But anyway, we're sent out of the Bible Baptist Church in Pensacola. Um, my home church in Cincinnati just kind of went, you know, the way that a lot of churches go. And so we had to move, had to leave, and we're serving with the Charity Baptist Mission. Uh, left to right, that's Samuel. He's in Boise, Idaho right now. Benjamin, he's in Dayton. He got married. Samuel's getting ready to get married. He's going to be marrying um, Susanna Napier. That's uh, Brother Spurgeon's granddaughter. Did I say something? What? Okay, amen, amen. Uh, and here we have uh, Michael and then Christopher, uh, Miriam, and their, my, love, of course, lovely wife, Naomi. And uh, Joseph, who wears the coat of many colors, and his brothers want to sell him to the Sabians and Arabians and all that. There he is. And the Lord's called us to the former Soviet Republic of Ukraine. I don't think I have to any longer say that Ukraine is not Russia. It used to be. I just told people we're going to Russia because Americans thought that Ukraine and, 
uh, and Russia was one and the same, and they are not the same people. Um, there's a lot I could say about that, just there's, they're a former Soviet republic. And what that means is there really are no books for missionaries with missionary methods and uh, of telling, you know, how do you do missions in a country where they had militant atheism and communism? And with all of the problems, I mean, we were trying to do missions work with the methods that were written from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And uh, this was a new beast. This is a totally new animal. Uh, communism and atheism, humanism, the, uh, the dialectical materialism and the, the abolition of private property and all that that stuff does, uh, it is so wicked. It is so anti-God, anti-man. I mean, it rips the soul out of people. And it's a very, very difficult um, thing to kind of, it takes generations to get that out of them. And um, anyway, what I want to say is this, America, you're further down the road to socialism than you know. You know, every time I come back here, I'm seeing, I can see what's happened in this country, and it's not good. And it's kind of the frog in the proverbial, you know, water that's kind of getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and it's, it's kind of scary, to be honest with you. Uh, I see that America today is what Ukraine was 30 years ago. Uh, and the people themselves have changed. Uh, the whole situation with the economy has changed. And anyway, it's, it's just not good, and so we've had the benefit of seeing what happens after a civilization has embraced, you know, Marxism and Engels and Stalin and all the rest of them, and it's just not good. This is, their religion was, they, they said that religion was the opium of the people, but their religion is, of course, evolution and humanism. That's all it is. They make, notice that they make, they can't resist of painting their idols gold. You know, who, why, why is that? You know, they're absolute hypocrites, but anyway... Uh, they're in the process of bringing down the old uh, Kremlin-imposed uh, relics of their society, and they're trying to distance themselves from Russia. They're bringing back, Ukraine is finally has the liberty and the freedom to bring back you know, their history and their heroes and their language and all, all of their culture and things like that. And it was just a lot to learn. I didn't understand these things. But um, unfortunately, the Orthodox Church was the thing that the government used to unite them. Uh, they were a people totally lost with their identity. They, it's like Americans today. You don't even know who you are anymore. You know, as far as the way this country was founded, why it was founded, for whom it was founded, and all those things, this country is shot when it comes to the original founding. And America's really having an identity crisis. I mean, really. And they had an identity crisis. You know, we used to be a superpower, they said, and now who are we? And they really had a hard time with it. And unfortunately, you know, you, the government feels like they have to control the people. You know, you either unite them around an, a common idea or you unite them against a common enemy. Amen? It's just, or you invent the enemy, like environmentalism and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, the, the, that's what they did. And so they brought in the Orthodox Church. And the Orthodox Church, you know, they have Ukrainian Orthodox and they have Russian Orthodox. And the Russian Orthodox is a very political uh, branch of uh, Russia. Uh, back in 2016, Ukraine got its independence from under, being under the Moscow Patriarchy it, within Orthodoxy. And that was a huge thing because Putin called an immediate emergency council because he realized that he was going to lose the cultural war. He could no longer use his priests, his army of priests practicing priestcraft in their little towns and villages and, and cities 
Because, I mean, these men are totally, I mean, these guys oppose me like you would not believe. The priests have gone into the local school where our children, who grew up in our church, our youth, they have called the entire school body assembly together with the teachers, with the dean, or the director, and the priests have singled out our church members, called them in front of the entire school, and said, I forbid you to go to that Baptist church. Those priests with their people have organized whole mobs against me, just trying to, to bury with some dignity some, you know, the fathers or the mothers of people who have died who were members of our church. I mean, I've had big men in my face shaking their fists saying, you stop preaching or else. All because of priestcraft. Uh, it, it's just, it's wicked. There's some serious opposition. That, that place is a stronghold of Satan. And it just, you, you have to understand you are not going to waltz in there and think that I'm, I've arrived. <laughs> Here I am. I've come to help you. Man, you, that you are the off-scouring of the earth. <laughs> because of Russian propaganda, these last seven years were hard. Absolutely hard. And, uh, but anyway, it's because of this. Now, I know that the Baptists, you know, Baptist brethren can kind of have church fights, you know. But it never gets this bad. <laughs> This is a Russian Orthodox priest blessing and baptizing and sprinkling these, these weapons, automatic weapons, to kill Ukrainians. Brethren, you know, everybody's Orthodox. I don't care how hard it gets here. It never gets that bad. Amen. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Ukraine is a very agricultural country. Uh, these are the farmer's markets. This is the way we buy our groceries for the most part. We finally, this past term, we finally got a grocery store in our town. <laughs> and uh, so, but I still, I, I kind of prefer, you know, fresh fruit and fresh vegetables. And this is the consolation. The land is just so rich and the food is so good and it's very cheap. You know, you can, if you've got a, six boys that you've got to feed, I mean, this is a great place to raise your kids, <laughs> you know, with... They said, why didn't you bring your kids with you? Well, it cost $100 to feed them at Subway. <laughs> it's like, good night. <laughs> so anyway, we, these are some pictures I snapped right before our first furlough. We had already been there five years by this time, and this is the conditions down at the local market. People living out of their gardens, doing whatever they can. It was a total economic collapse. I'm just trying to get the daily bread. Not very sanitary, but, you know, their money just disappeared. Uh, the ruble disappeared. They had a temporary coupon that went from one dollar was worth 350 of their coupons and then by the by the end of that thing inflation had hit and it was what 510,000 coupons for one dollar. I mean it was it was crazy, terrible. All the factories dried up, all of the, the everybody lost their jobs Everybody who was in government housing, they, they got their heat cut off. They just cut the pipes. And we were just trying to help people, tell them about God. Amen? It's a very agricultural country, very rich. And there's a lot I could say about all of that. But we went there for a first term. And what you have to do is you've got to learn the language and the culture. And this is, uh, this is John 3.16 in the Russian language. It says, Ibotakvas lubil bogmir, što otdal sina svojevo jedinorodnava. Dabivsiaki vyryushivnyvo nipogib, no imil zhizen vechnuyu. 
And so the Lord opened up a door for me to get a visa and get some good language training in the Odessa State University. They had a branch of the university that was uh, designed to take foreign students, usually the former Soviet allies, the Arab countries, Africa, China, all those who were socialistic or communistic, they would bring their students to the former Soviet Union and train them. And the idea was within a year, sometimes two, uh, you would be so proficient in the Russian language that you could go on and sit in the lectures and listen to professors uh, lecture about whatever, you know, geography or, you know, if you're going to be a doctor or a chemist or a mathematician or a scientist, whatever, you should know Russian well enough to be able to uh, handle those lectures. And so it was tough. I mean, it was like, whoa, talk about culture shock, you know. So uh, those two ladies on the left, uh, the one second from the left, Alla Alexandrovna, they were both Moscow trained. Uh, they, anybody who had any influence was from Russia. They, they uprooted all the Ukrainians and they brought Russians to live in their place. They practically outlawed the Ukrainian language and down where we live, we speak Russian. Okay, but everybody's Ukrainian. And, but anyway, that's a different subject. We'll talk about that tonight. But she got saved and uh, anyway, I studied there for six years, got my diplomas and things. And so Ukraine is divided up into 25, uh, what they, I guess we would call them states. Uh, they call them oblasts. And we're down in the Odessa Oblast, named after the city of Odessa. And outside of Odessa, there is a town called Rozdilna. It's the county seat of that area, really close to the Moldovan border. And if I had, you can see that, that eastern uh, border there, that's all Transnistria. It's like this little sliver of a country right between Moldova and Ukraine. And that border is 20 miles from my house. And in that area, in that location, is 20, they said there's 10,000, excuse me, 10,000 pro-Russian, uh, you know, troops there. And we were expecting them to try to take over our town. And they tried. And they had three vanfuls. They came in, went immediately to the recruitment center, opened fire, started killing people, and they were liquidated. I mean, they were in, uh, uh, eliminated. And they were killed. All of their weapons were confiscated. And we haven't had any more upsets in our town uh, ever since. So praise the Lord for that. Um, but it, the, name of, the name of the place is Rozdilna, and God gave me a translator that I worked with, and he was a guy that uh, during my survey trip, I went from Bulgaria over to Ukraine, met a woman preaching on the street. She was begging us to come, and so we went over. And during that little trip, I, like, I knew that God wanted me to be in Ukraine. I went back to Bulgaria with the missionaries there. We're just praying. I was saying, God, if there's any way, I just want to go back to Ukraine. And we, we would meet every morning at 7 o'clock for prayer and Bible reading. And one morning, the senior missionary, his name was uh, Carl, uh, Ricky Bullock, he said, you wouldn't believe who called me last night. I said, who? He said, Dr. Ruckman. Dr. Ruckman called me. He said his plans to go to Romania fell through, and so he wants to come over here. And he said, after those testimonies of what happened with you guys in Ukraine, he said, I think that we need to take him to Ukraine. And he said, Brother Rue, I think that you need to go. So the Lord answered my prayer, and I got to go back to Ukraine during that survey trip in 92, and I got to go back with Dr. Ruckman, which was really cool. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, he translated for Dr. Ruckman. His name was Taras Alexandrovich, and uh, he's home with the Lord now. And God just gave us, um, began to just give us souls, you know. All you got to do is just show up and preach the gospel. Sister Tamara met her on a train, led her to Christ, and led her mother to Christ, led her daughter to Christ, her grandchildren to Christ. Sister Jenya, that sister would walk like an hour and a half one way to get to church. 
in the snow. Uh, there's Yana. She got stuck in St. Petersburg in Russia for a time. Yen Yen, here's uh, uh, Tanya. And this, anyway, there's just folks that got saved. He's in heaven. She's a deacon's wife today. She barely escaped Mikolaev. Praise the Lord. Granddaughter of an underground church lady, Larissa. And she's in, um, she's in Germany right now. Escaped, got out of the war. Lady on the right was a diehard communist, atheist. Weeps every time she gives her testimony. She's like, we need to get all these Baptists and just lock them up in the minds of the Donbass and forget about them. You know, and then she's, she's one of us now. <laughs> she's, a, she's a sweetheart. She loves God. Anyway, these are just the souls that God gave us, and, and thank God for it. She's in heaven, and she's in heaven, and he's in heaven. Babushka Masha's in heaven. These are people that had to fight World War II in their backyard, this generation. This lady right here was like her pastor for 20 years, and she says, oh, yeah, by the way, I was a sniper in World War II, <laughs> a teenage girl and a sniper. You know, she told my wife, she says, yeah, there was this Nazi on our land, and he was running across this field, and I went, boop, and he went, doot. <laughs> then things began to kind of make sense. I mean, she was a character. She really was. A bold witness. Oh, man, we translated Dr. Ruckman stuff. She loved Dr. Ruckman, buddy. <laughs> She'd go around to these Baptist Union churches and kind of give them fits. But anyway, it was funny. And uh, she's a good soul winner. She's doing okay today. Oh, man, they moved to Birdyansk. And the war is raging over there now. She's doing good. Maxime and Sasha, and just she's in heaven. And she's a survivor of the Regensburg concentration camp. Who? I've listened to her stories. It's just rough stuff. She's in heaven. She's in heaven. She's in heaven. And she's doing good today. Yeah, she could do better. <laughs> Chinese gal got saved. Yaroslav, he's in heaven. Edik and Slavic. And, and anyway. Just different pictures of our ministry back in then. We were able to organize the church and just kept on going. Started a Bible institute uh, back then. Just one night a week, nothing serious. God gave us two kids. We came back to the States for a furlough, went back for a second term. Just kept building on the work. God gave us a building and uh, we started training our Sunday school workers. Started organizing the Sunday school program and we be ended up um, actually writing our own Sunday school material. We have a, a Sunday school program that's for all ages and even for men to take it uh, for church planting, to be able to organize churches. And so we spent several years on that. There's my wife teaching in one of the Sunday school seminars uh, for our church people and other churches as well. We began our youth ministry back then with uh, Daily Vacation Bible School. And that's a big deal in our town. Our, you know, we get a lot of kids saved. We don't do the raise your hand in a group, one, two, three, say a prayer after me. We deal with each child individually. We make sure they understand the gospel. If they don't get it, well, they're not ready to be saved. Amen? So, uh, anyway, it's always a big deal. Our people love it. Young people love it. This was our first youth group back then. And just, you know, church. We have the Christmas get-togethers and just preach the gospel, and God continues to give us souls, and He's in heaven. She's really having a hard time. Pray for her. Her son and her brother are both. Um, I don't know what's going to happen to her son. Her son's been fighting in this war since 2016. He's a very, very seasoned, experienced soldier. And I think he's under extreme psychological distress. He, he, he's in Bakhmut right now. He went in there with, 50, with his battalion of 50 men. And there's only five left. There's only one street left, and they've been told that there's no reinforcements coming. 
There's no more ammunition, and he says, I'm not leaving. And so his mother is really concerned. I don't know about her brother right now, but do you guys pay attention to the news with what's going on in Bakhmut? But anyway, um, that's where her son is, and so please pray for him. She's in Germany, and she's in heaven, and she's in heaven, and he is in heaven, an old sailor, got saved. I mean, he is bald. He's a preacher today, and just God gave us souls. Amen. Just a, just a blessing. Uh, he translated for, uh, for Dr. Ruckman, then and Brother DeMichael showed up on my doorstep. I didn't know him. He didn't know me and, <laughs> in 1995, and so he always called him Stalin. <laughs> you know, he referred to Taras as Stalin. Now, that man was a staunch Ukrainian national. Now, I mean, he is what they call a, band he was a bandirzi, he was a bandera. Um, that's like, the, these guys are radical. The, these are the guys that um, Putin says, oh, he's justifying his war against Ukraine because of people who were really, really, they still haven't gotten over Holodomor and the, the four attempted genocides by the Russian people against Ukrainians. So, you know, he knows his history and he's from Lvov or Lviv. If a Ukrainian was here and I called it Lvov, they would be... You know, <laughs> Lviv. But anyway, <clears throat> so he, I met him. He said, we sat across from each other, and I, back then I would thought, you know, Ukrainians, Russians, Belarusians, they're all the same. And he was just, we will go to the battlefield and die <laughs> before we become their slaves again. And his, his first really only desire to help me as an American was he thought that somehow we could join together to fight Russians. That's why he kind of joined up with us. And man, he had to translate some rough messages. He had to translate for Dr. Ruckman, and Dr. Ruckman read him the riot act. <laughs> and then I said, hey, why don't you translate these theological studies for me? <laughs> and then uh, he finally got saved. You know, that angry fist, you know, he came out of that water that day and he went, I mean, and every that place just, I mean, practically revival happened, you know, and old Stalin got saved. I remember talking to Brother DeMichael, he's like, hey, whatever happened to Stalin? And I said, Stalin got saved, he got baptized. He was like, amen, you know, it was great. So uh, she's doing good. She's still there. She didn't get out, but she used to work a second job just to support missions. Um, she loves God, loves missions. She's doing well, looking for a husband. And just, I don't know. I don't, so, so, anyway. <laughs> uh, she's in heaven, rough life. She's in heaven, rough life. She's from Russia, Murmansk, and got saved. She's in heaven. And these are just old pictures. Church life, church kitchen, dinner on the grounds, you know, putting up a tent, started working with uh, villages, had medical missions for a time. Translate a lot of uh, literature. Uh, people over there were very, very literate, and uh, we hosted the Couriers for Christ campaign. Has Don Sturtz ever been through here? I mean, Brother Sturtz is the real deal. I mean, I've had guys that kind of want to come to the field and pretend to help the missionary for a photo op, you know, to raise money or whatever. Brother Sturtz was a real help to us. He was a real blessing, and uh, I can't say enough good about him. But he asked us to, you know, to host a Couriers for Christ campaign, and we gladly did back in, I think it was 2003. 2002, 2003, something like that. And I was asking God for um, 5,000 copies of this Gospel of John and these sermon about salvation and hymns and stuff. I wanted this for tent work. 
you know, we didn't have enough money to give Bibles to everybody, but I thought I could give them the Gospel of John, preach the Gospel out of the Gospel of John, and give them what they need to get things started. And I was asking for 5,000 copies. Well, Brother Sturt's got me 250,000, <laughs> you know, printed. And so that was great. Had a great time. Had some, uh, a group come over, and we hit, we went to um, several towns. We went to Odessa, uh, Razdelnaya, Lemansky, Starostino, Kashari, Yakovlivka, and had some, you know, rented halls like this. Most of everybody here are unsaved people. And uh, I got to preach the gospel to them, give out Bibles. This was a dream come true. I remember 1992, it's like nobody had Bibles when we were there. And we were just able to give away Bibles like that. Man, I was just living the dream. It was wonderful. Gathering crowds like this, you know, within just a couple of, like an hour or something, just crowds and preach to them, lead them to Christ. And uh, keep the, you know, keep things going. Here's, uh, we rented halls like this and had, you know, kids meetings and stuff like that. We had a Bible Institute full time by this time. I joined up with Brother Richard Mayer and Paul Gray. We got all of our men together. And uh, the men by that time saw the need for Bible Institute. They wanted to be trained to become preachers and teachers and evangelists and church planters. And so this was like close to... Uh, PBI. This was four hours a day, every day, every day of the week, and uh, it was a lot of work, hard work. But anyway, um, some of the literature we put together for salvation, tracts, Bible Institute material, it's all in the Russian language now, stuff for preachers, uh, theological work, stuff for um, new converts and for families and marriages and all that kind of stuff, raising kids. Um, went back for a third term. God moved us out into the country. We, we live very, very close to the ground. God gave us a little bit of an orchard, you know, and we, we love it. Amen. There's Christopher doing his share of the work. <laughs> That's called homeschool right there. But anyway, uh, just kept plugging away, and um, God continued to give us souls. I'd love to tell you all of their stories. Uh, she was from Kazakhstan. She's a missionary's wife now. And uh, there's my son, Josh. And anyway, every one of them has a story. Love to tell it. Don't have the time. That sister right there, she messed up. Backslid for just a couple of years. Married a Muslim. He took her to Syria right before the war broke out. When she came back, buddy, she was a different woman. And she got up, and I mean, she preached to our girls. I wished I had recorded it. I wished I had a transcript of it for young ladies, and she was like, you better listen to this preacher. He's telling you the truth, everything about this book and this Bible, everything, this Islam. But, buddy, she, she was a changed woman and uh, loves the Lord. And she's still married to that guy, Ali, because she's trying to win him to Jesus Christ. And just pray for her. Uh, he's fighting the war right now. He's over there on the eastern border. He's the one that kind of gives me, lets me know what's going on. <laughs> Uh, whether or not we're going to be attacked from over there by Moldova, led him to Christ. The Russians, like years ago, approached him whenever they were preparing for this war. Part of the problem with Putin is that Putin kept his different intelligence agencies separate about his plans to invade Ukraine. And he did give his version of CIA a bunch of money to go in and prepare the work and try to uh, hire guys, Ukrainians, to work as secret agents for Russia, and he was approached. He said, yeah, they offered me. He said, I'm in debt right now. He said, they were offering me like $500 because I can command, you know, groups of, he said, I can command groups of like 200 men. 
I have the experience with that. I said, what'd you say? He says, well, I said, no. I was like, good. <laughs> you know, but he's in the war now. Pray for him. And anyway, just the Lord's been good. Just keep plugging away, preaching and teaching the Word of God. There's a good picture of my wife. That's just what she's always doing behind the scenes. We work with an orphanage as much as we can. Had uh, youth conferences. We came into some money one time, and it's gone now, but we sold a house, doubled our money. Amen. It was great. <laughs> and I was able to sponsor youth conferences. It had brother, uh, this, these were Bible-believing youth conferences. You see that guy in, a, in the red shirt? You know him, don't you? That's Mike Ireland. That's Junior. Anyway, he met his wife here at our camp, and so had a great time. I guess you know Brother Hamilton. There's Brother Ireland and his girl before the Lord took her. I remember her testimony that year at camp, really convicting. But anyway, great times, great years. There's our youth group giving a special. Men's meetings, amen. There's groups of guys back then that were actually training and preparing for this war. They knew it was coming. And we get together with them and have war games in these old factories and stuff and shoot each other, in, like I said, in Jesus' name. <laughs> well, these are men's meetings, and these are some of our missionaries that we support. They're up in Siberia, up there close to Mongolia and China. There's Brother Zhenya and his wife. There's, uh, uh, that's Stas and his wife, and here's Brother Zhenya. They're up there in Altai. This is a guy we support. We've supported him for years. He's doing a great work right now. He's got a big online presence. He took and copied everybody's friends <laughs> on Facebook, <laughs> you know, and uh, but I'm glad, you know, he was one of those guys that nobody would support him. Our church supported him. He told me, he said, brother, if it weren't for you and your church, he said, I would literally be feeding my, my family out of a garbage can. But man, this guy's going. He is getting him saved. He's doing a great job. And uh, church gives to missions, and God gave us two more kids. Here's Christopher and Mikey. Went back for a fourth term, and I'm going to have to speed it up now. And some preacher, she's in Germany. He's fighting in the war now. There's Ali's son, little Christopher. She's our little refugee living with us now. There's her mom. God opened up the door to preach in the public schools, which was wonderful. Opened up the door to continue our Bible Institute full-time again. And uh, we just keep on going, keep on plugging away. Here's our youth group, more modern pictures. Here's our church choir and the kids' ministries and sweetheart banquets and graduation. Uh, this is an alternative that we have to the world's version of graduation, which they get drunk, you know. So just continue on with youth ministries. And, and so I just want to quickly go through these pictures to get to um, what's going on right now. So the war. Our guys are now fighting. we got like eight men are out of our church or sons or brothers or whatever of our church that are fighting in the war. I can't believe some of these guys are actually there. Uh, this one is unsaved. This is Vladislava's, our little refugees, her dad. And I always go to every church and I say, please pray for him. He's so close to getting saved. And our church, we've sent over lots of money. Our church has moved so far 30 tons of food and aid. Uh, medical supplies, we, we buy body, good body armor for our men who are fighting. Because I told them I want them to come home, you know, giving out clothes. Our people are preparing food, doing whatever they can, getting out the gospel. This is all aid and stuff that we bought to send to 
people that were in the suffering areas. This is one guy that helps get people out of Mikolaev and uh, make homemade body armor. These are some of the pictures of our church that has been ministering. These are refugees, all of them refugees. None of them are saved. They get a full gospel presentation and food. Opened up a door for me through Bevan's Welder to put together a video, a gospel presentation. They targeted um, Ukrainians and Russians, and so far over 30 million people have watched the video. 17 million they know have watched it all the way through. So the Lord's working. This is just our church giving out humanitarian aid. <laughs> they stormed the gates about tore the place apart. But uh, we want to go back, ordain this fellow for this church, finish our church building. And my wife and I are planning on going to the city of Odessa where we plan to start a church and move our ministry there. Hold a big citywide evangelistic campaign. We're going to move our printing and our translation and the Bible Institute there. And just appreciate your prayers, appreciate your help over the years. And I hope that was a blessing. Thank you.